We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 13, What Happened to Frederick? The original air date of this episode was February 19th, 2012. The writers were David H. Goodman, who we know from The Price of Gold and True North. The director was Dean White, who we know from Snow Falls and True North. The title card is A Statue Under a Gazebo. We open in the enchanted forest of the past, where Princess Abigail arrives in a carriage and is greeted by King George in preparation for her royal wedding. Suddenly, the cavalry race off, but the king brushes off Abigail's concern as ensuring the safety and security of guests. He excuses himself from her presence to tell a knight, find him. We next see Prince Charming evading the knights, who are in close pursuit. Charming dismounts his steed and is soon captured by two men in purple cloaks. I love Charming. He's an idiot, but he's so handsome. Okay, so Charming's horse hops over this rather skinny fallen tree, but the cavalry horses can't leap over it and continue the pursuit. These are battle horses, man. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm sure the horses could have and the riders are just dum-dums. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, I is scared. I also like that Charming's disguise is literally just a scarf wrapped around his head. Well, I mean, yeah. that leads into my, I love him. He's a dum-dum. Yeah. <laughs> like, Charming is a himbo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a himbo, and I love himbo. me a himbo, so I love Charming. <laughs> he's a good. He's just, you know, he's a sweet, pretty dum-dum, and that's why we love him. Yeah. In present-day Storybrooke, the Nolans are having a very tense dinner when Catherine tells David she applied to law school in Boston and was accepted. She thinks a fresh start is what they need, focusing on making new memories rather than trying to recapture old ones. Always Boston. Everything is in Boston. It's where everybody knows your name. (laughs) Back in the Enchanted Forest, we are surprised to learn that these knights are acting on the orders of Abigail, who reveals she is not as dumb as her initial costume would have had us believe. She knows that Charming is in love with Snow White and therefore he will not marry her, She further reveals that she wishes to help him escape and that she does not want to marry him either. I kind of remember when I first watched this episode being really pleasantly surprised that Abigail turned out to be a friend to Charming. It's a pleasant twist, which of course makes the shit that their Storybrooke counterparts are going through all the harder and cringier to watch. Yeah, I I really do like Princess Abigail in this episode. Her outfit is 2,000% better. Oh my Uh, god, yes. Yeah, she looks amazing in that red and gold. And I find her, you know, her true character um, very likable. I think she's she's down to earth. She's very sure of herself. Um, And I would have liked to see more of this Princess Abigail. I enjoy our time with her in this episode. I'm just, like you guys said, really, really happy for her that they finally gave her a decent outfit. Like, good for her. She's finally free of the bad feather dress. I know, good for her. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Like, I definitely just nodded and was like, good for you. Back in Storybrooke, where everything's going to be terrible for this whole episode, David goes for a walk with Mary Margaret, who believes that they have to tell Catherine the truth about everything. David continues to be disappointing, saying he isn't sure if he can. Mary Margaret thinks being honest with others is the only way they can be honest with each other. When she presses him about his plan, David is shockingly unable to come up with anything, big surprise. She tells him the only way no one gets hurt here is if we don't want to be together. Is that what you want? David emphatically says no, prompting Mary Margaret to insist that David make a choice. I choose you, David tells Mary Margaret. She tells him it's time to tell Catherine and walks away. You know, David, you keep saying that and yet you keep bitching out like a little bitch. Yeah, like, god fucking damn it, David. You keep saying that and doing nothing. Nothing. 
Yeah, this is your weekly reminder that Mary Margaret fucking deserves better. She does. So much better. (sighs) Anyway, the next day, (laughs) Emma runs into August. Hooray! At Granny's Diner, who continues to put on his worst devil-may-care attitude, saying he's been meaning to bump into her and hold her to that drink she promised. And like, fucking August fucking august nice ascot you goddamn tool i hate you so much why are you here as i recall august you insisted on buying emma the drink Ugh. you know what shut up i hate you and your hunter s thompson ernest hemingway wanker wannabe shtick you have going on he's gross he's the worst he's the worst and every gross. time he's on this show i almost stop watching it <laughs> moving along <laughs> Emma fake flirts with him and what we are going to choose to believe is an attempt to wiggle his name out of him. As she says that she has a policy of not going out with dudes who won't tell her their names, which is smart. He reveals his name is August W. Booth. He says clarifying that the W is for Wayne. August Wayne Booth, by the way, is a douchebag name. <laughs> Just saying. He invites her to meet him back at Granny's Diner after work. She goes inside to meet Mary Margaret, who's alarmingly curious about August, which no one should be. Emma quickly steers the conversation back to Mary Margaret, who admits she hasn't been staying away from David. Emma reveals she has known, but didn't say so. Mary Margaret tells Emma that David is telling Catherine everything. Mary Margaret is so cute, thinking that she was sly as a fox with David. I also love Emma's line, when I met you, you were a top button kind of girl. I love that this is a role reversal for them in a mother-daughter sense. Like as the daughter of a single mom, I had to go through this a few times with my mom too. The pep talks, the sympathetic listener, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. They're just so cute and I love them. They're so cute. The little whisper conversation was just so cute. I just, I, I live for scenes between these two. It's just my favorite part of the show, I think. Yeah, the whole show really could just be Barry and Margaret and Emma talking and I'd be perfectly happy so cute but it's not and it's gonna get worse we next see Catherine at home looking up apartments in boston because it's a totally you know reasonable transition to go from this large house to a small apartment and anybody's gonna want to go for that but that's neither here nor there she's looking up apartments in boston when david returns home and tells her he can't go to boston with her she asks for the truth and whether there's anything going on she doesn't know about he folds like a deck of cards and says no He says he doesn't know what it's like, you know, like a liar, but there's something that's preventing him from connecting. He says it isn't fair to her, and she's right about needing a fresh start, just not with him. Oh my glob. David, what, what, what is wrong with you? She gave you an opening. She gave you an opening. Please tell the nice lady that you are in love with Mary Margaret so she can move on with her life. Ugh, David. Ugh. Just God fucking damn it, David. How is Charming so good and Cursed David is such a fuckboy? I know. Cursed David's the worst. I don't understand. And Charming's the best. Charming's the best. How is there such a disconnect between these two characters? I mean, I guess, you know, Regina really wanted to punish Snow White and so was like, and man a fuckboy. I mean, I guess I say throwing my arms up comically. (laughs) Ugh. Move on. In the Enchanted Forest, Abigail and her caravan escort the prince to her father's kingdom. Before he leaves, he wants to know what's really going on. She says 
Her heart also belongs to another, a man named Frederick, who she once was intended to wed. She believes that reuniting Charming with Snow White would give her consolation. Bitterly, the prince says he can't help her because his love told him she doesn't feel the same way for him as he does for her. He calls this his tragedy, but she scoffs, claiming his tale isn't a tragedy. Which, I'll admit, this part rubbed me all kinds of the wrong way because I was just like, Christ, she's one of those, my pain is the worst in the room. Sadness has to be a competition type people. And Lord, they exhaust me. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, funnily enough, I actually made almost an identical comment in the oh, next episode. Because I and was then, like, am I am I just being sensitive here? Because I was no, like, oh, are you kidding is, me? This is like a running, it's not a running gag, but it's like a running theme. Recurring theme. Yeah. Yeah. In in Once Upon a Time. And in, you know, and, and, you know, not to just shit on Once Upon a Time, but also like just in TV in general. In TV in general. And just media. Yeah, I made the exact same comment in the next episode for, it's for gross. completely different characters, and I hate it. I hate dick measuring contests like that. Yeah, like it's a- it's gross. It, it there is there shouldn't be a like I like you shouldn't have to quantify your pain. Yeah, yeah. like I my I hate pain this. is much more valid than yours. Exactly, like two people can be sad at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Two people can be sad at the same time. It doesn't, you don't have to be all like, oh, well, you're, you're upset, but my life is way worse than yeah. yours. So you don't get to be upset. I'm the only one here who gets to be upset. Yeah. Like, someone else's sadness me insane. doesn't lessen your own sadness. Like, exactly. Right? Like, good Lord, let the poor man be sad. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Princess Abigail's shit isn't bad. It's bad. But being like, just like laughing in his face and being like you don't have it bad at all it's like fuck you yes he does she does yeah 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 just because you you have pain doesn't negate the other person's pain yeah exactly he can be sad lady yeah Yeah. (laughs) commiserate be together in your pain yeah it would have been i feel like this scene is why i don't have quite the level of fondness for princess abigail that you guys do no, I understand yes. that. I get that. I always remember this scene and I feel like had they instead had her just be a like, I know, like, I, oh, I understand. I know how hard it is losing someone you love segue into what her thing is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's definitely right down to the writers. Like they're, they're yeah. just, ugh, yeah, dick measuring contests. Like, yeah, no one, no one needs a sadness dick measuring contest. That could be the moral of this episode. That is. Oh, that should be. <laughs> yeah. No one needs a sadness dick measuring competition, and you can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, because we gotta. <sighs> Abigail walks him over to what appears to be a golden statue of Frederick, lovingly centered under a gazebo. Charming admires the craftsmanship, prompting Abigail to reveal that the statue is Frederick, who was turned to gold when he jumped to push King Midas to safety during a battle. So the title of this episode is from a line spoken by King Midas in episode six, The Shepherd, when a page assists him in removing the glove that shields his golden hand. He says, careful, remember what happened to Frederick. Hey, continuity for once. I know. (laughs) Shocking. I mean, you know, broken broken clock is right twice a day, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) In hopes of bringing Frederick back to life, she'd have to reverse the curse, and she tells the prince about Lake Nostos, whose waters are said to have magical properties that can return to you something that has once been lost. The prince vows to get to the lake and its water, despite the deadly creature who guards it. 
Princess Abigail protests, but this foolish, noble, handsome bastard insists that if he succeeds, Abigail will be reunited with her love, and should he die, his misery will end. Charming, you dramatic, noble bastard. Also handsome. And handsome. Thank you. We return to Storybrooke, where book thief fuckboy August is doing weird hipster archivist shit to Henry's book and stitching it back together. And this motherfucker, you stole from my boy. I hope you rot. I forget if he's adding pages or removing pages or one or the other. It doesn't matter. He's a fucking asshole. It doesn't matter. He stole from a child. I yeah. think he's including pages that had previously been removed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's Oh, it. yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. I, I see your note. I stand by my statement. Oh, no. I agree. You stole from a child. You stole from a child. <laughs> yeah. I hope you rot. No, he's a dick. He should die anyway <laughs> meanwhile at the mayor's office regina gives henry a gift a handheld game regina i haven't owned a console ever but even i know that's some shitty ds knockoff but okay in reality space paranoids the game that henry is playing references the disney film tron in tron the game was invented by the protagonist kevin flynn emma's line it's all in the wrist comes directly from the movie thank you once upon a time fandom wiki I was going to bring that up, but granted, Lynn and me have actually just recently watched both Tron films. Um, although I will admit my, the depth of my Tron knowledge, uh, particularly about space paranoids, actually comes from Kingdom Hearts. Babe. Because uh, that's the name of the Tron world in those games. Babe. Uh, yeah. So I've added myself to someone who really enjoys Disney multiverse media, I guess. Once upon a time, Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. But anyways, but this is a really nice bit of continuity because the video game would be from 1982, which was Tron's release year, and Storybook's time loop bubble would be the 80s. We've talked about that before. So a video game wise, it actually does make sense that that's what Regina gives him. Okay. I like <laughs> the nod. But I'm also like, Regina, did you really get him one of those off-brand 50 That was my original thing? note! That it's was true. my original note, where I was just like, this bitch can afford like. to get yeah. him! It looks like, it looks like, like one of those things you see on late night television where they're like, 100 games in one controller! And you're like, that's gonna break in a week. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that you get, like, after spending, I don't know, like, your entire summer vacation at Dave & Buster's. Mm -hmm. like that's, it's a free crank, prize cranking out the tickets and shit you get like 30 grand you get that and then it, yeah you're right it breaks like a week later yeah because like, it's because it's a piece of shit thing that you get as a freebie or like you know like you were like our 500th guest to walk in today you get this piece of shit yeah and i'm just like regina i've seen your goddamn house you can afford to get the boy a playstation you can more than afford that i seen your shoes woman no, I blame that time bubble. The game was stuck in the 80s, man. They had quality game systems in the 80s. Yeah, they didn't have handheld stuff. Atari. Oh, wait. No, they did have handheld stuff because I had a few of those, like a race car one and a air flight simulator where it's like, oh, yeah. No, it's like the ones that go like, yeah. But like, even if we're, yeah. I'm like, I'm not giving Regina the it's the 80s excuse. Get the boy a motherfucking Atari then something decent that you didn't pick up in like the oh shit i forgot to pick up a birthday <laughs> present isle of bonds she she got it at the bodega that sneezy runs yeah she absolutely did it's in the i fucked up and didn't pick up a birthday present section and i'm on my way to a child's it's birthday the same aisle birthday. that david got his valentine's day god yeah i woof you oh, i woof you 
Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Someone should just burn that store down. I'm sorry. It causes more problems than it solves. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is an accessory to a kidnapping with the duct tape and the rope. It's true. It, multiple crimes have occurred because Sorry. of this store. The first time we see it, shoplifting happens. That's true. It's crime central. It is a blight on Storybrook. Oh no. Like they were blaming independent store owners for getting robbed. Isn't this blaming I'm blaming Sneezy because he's an asshole. <laughs> I'm going to pick the one person who I think is a dick and drop all my problems on them. Okay, sounds sounds healthy. And Sneezy was a dick to my son the first time he got a line in this show. So fuck him. Baby, you made me laugh so hard I started coughing. I'm sorry, that's our relationship. <laughs> I'm under the weather, listeners, in case you're wondering why I sound like that. Yeah. A frog took up residency. Why Elisa sounds very sad this episode. Oh. <sighs> Moving on past Lynn's rants about burning down stores, Regina pleads with Henry not to be upset insisting she tore down the castle playground for safety reasons and sincerely says she did not mean to destroy his book, which is, you know, believable because she doesn't, you know, lie constantly, but whatever. Henry says it isn't just the book. He wants to see Emma. Regina does not have an opportunity to respond as Catherine abruptly shows up. Regina gently sends Henry home. Once he is gone, Catherine bursts into tears and tells Regina about David leaving her. Regina immediately calls out Mary Margaret for being a homewrecker, you know, because she's a bad person, perplexing Catherine. She demands to know what Mary Margaret has to do with this, prompting Regina to break the news to Catherine that Mary Margaret and David have been having an affair. Catherine asks for proof, and Regina shows her picture Sydney had taken. When she asks why Regina didn't tell her in the first place, Regina says she didn't say anything because she thought Catherine and David were working out their marriage. Regina says she wanted that because she's Catherine's friend. But Catherine says a friend wouldn't lie. Upset, she leaves. Also, it's like pretty convenient how Regina just had those pictures ready to go at the top <laughs> of her desk. Like just right there. Like that's not sus. I know she could have just been like, I saw them kissing because she did. But instead she makes like a whole big thing about it. Like, and I just like, happened to have these photos. Uh, which is I funnier totally because- I was never gonna publish because- Yeah, she does that whole song morals. and dance. She does that whole song and dance about being like, oh, Sydney did this and it's immoral and I would never let them see the light of day and blah, blah, blah. So you think that like, clearly they're, you know, she doesn't have them. They're somewhere else because she's doing this whole song and dance. And Catherine's like, let me see the photos. And Regina's like, oh, well, if you insist, I have them right here. Yeah. And it's like, really? <laughs> really? Regina, yeah. what the even fuck, if, man? <laughs> even if Regina wasn't the one like orchestrating all of this, right? And she legit was like Catherine's friend. I, I'm just like, you're such a shit kicker. Like that's like some real wives of Jer like oh, of New she, Jersey oh, yeah. bullshit. She yeah. is a misery tourist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like she is captain of the misery tourist brigade. <laughs> like, goddamn. <laughs> yeah. And I feel bad for poor Catherine because, like, shit, man, dude's lying to you. Your friend's lying to you. Everything's a lie. Poor woman. In the Enchanted Forest, Abigail leads Charming to a candlelit shrine dedicated to the creature that guards the lake, where anyone who attempts to get to the lake is meant to leave an offering. He scoffs at the shrine and heads for the lake, leaving Abigail behind. 
both Charming and Princess Abigail look really dashing on their adventure here. I love both those costumes. They both look amazing. And uh, it would be fun to have had more episodes of them like adventuring as friends. I don't know. I, I just really think they look really good right here. I, I need to they say something. Very dashing. If you are walking through the woods and mm-hmm. you see a shrine to a god or, a, you know, some sort of creature or benevolent spirit, leave a fucking offering like you know just as your friendly pagan like I would like to say please leave an offering it does not have to be monetary it can just be you know like a button or even a granola bar a granola bar you know whatever whatever you have handy no granola bars in the enchanted forest there could be no there couldn't well I'm speaking hypothetical I'm speaking to Elisa. <laughs> Keep your domestics out of this. No. <laughs> that will not happen and you know it. <laughs> out of my pagan PSA. Just do it. You know, you just, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with like the forces of nature. Okay. That's my pagan PSA for this episode. Thank, thank you for coming to my pagan PSA. Here's the thing though. Charming the dummy. I know. The dummy. He's a dum-dum. Yeah, He's he our sweet, dum-dum. lovable dum-dum. Moving on to his horrible counterpart. Yeah. In Storybrooke, while going through photos at his house, David calls Mary Margaret to say that he told Catherine, but then it went bad. Excitedly, Mary Margaret tells him that he did the right thing. Ugh, David, you liar. He makes me so mad during this part of the season. Mary Margaret deserves better. Yeah. This is my hill I'm going to die on. She does. Like, this scene is really bad because he's so self-satisfied. Like, he's like, I did it. I did it. I told Catherine. It's like, you didn't do shit. (sighs) Just as they hang up, Catherine shows up at the school, bumps into the gym teacher as she marches up to Mary Margaret right in the middle of the hallway and slaps her. Cool. Catherine yells at Mary Margaret in the hallway in front of God and everyone while they all watch. Mary Margaret is horrified to realize that David didn't actually tell Catherine about their affair. I ain't mad at Catherine for being mad. But she be slapping the wrong person. Also, security, hello, anyone? Security, can we please get this lady escorted off campus? This is not an episode of Dynasty. Also, I hate it when women confront the other woman like this. Like, go slap David. I know. He's the the common denominator in this. Seriously, Mm -hmm. David so deserves the slaps. I hate that shows so frequently do this. And in real life, people do it too. Like, like... Uh, yeah I, I deeply hate the whole angle this takes with everything is Mary Margaret she did it all alone between like Catherine just walloping her and Regina being like that little hussy like for sure she had an affair all by herself like let's not let's not even discuss David or make him culpable or anything it's all Mary Margaret's fault like I hate this episode <laughs> <laughs> soldiering on because we gotta it's night in the enchanted forest Charming easily reaches the lake because he's so handsome and dips a canteen in for water. He hears a rumbling and draws his sword, calling out the guardian of Nostos, challenging the creature to show themselves. Soon, a beautiful siren emerges from the lake, smirking as she says, here I am. We then return back to Storybrooke. Emma is waiting outside of Granny's diner when, hooray, our favorite, August, shows up on his stupid motorcycle. He nags Emma to hop onto the back of his stupid douchebag motorcycle as he intends to take her to a quote-unquote watering hole. 
Fuck you, August, you cheap ass motherfucker. But I do love that Granny Lucas is totally horny for August. She would totally dom and peg him, spank him for being an insolent tool, and make him take a bath and wash his hair. <laughs> no, 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 Chell. I do not want that mental image. My eyeballs are screaming. Please, no, Granny, don't be horny for August. No. I'm quitting this podcast. <laughs> no! <laughs> That's my line in the sand. I think Granny Lucas would make a good play out of him. No, no, no one ever have sex with August <laughs> ever. He's like if syphilis was a human being. God. <laughs> he is a walking STD, <laughs> and there's no coming back from that. No one touch him. No one look at him. Horrible. <sighs> We're all gonna try and move on from that now. They go to the motherfucking watering hole. It's just a literal well. Goddamn. After some terrible banter, August says there's a legend about the well, that its water is fed by an underground lake that has magical properties. The water from the well is said to return something lost to you. Emma remarks that for a stranger, August knows an awful lot. He retorts, like a douchebag, that for being the sheriff, she knows awfully little. Don't you just love him? With more drama than necessary, August says he knows all of this for one simple reason. He read the plaque. Emma discovers the plaque, but scoffs at August's reverence for magic water, which he insists, if anything has magic, it would be water. He fills two camper mugs with water, and they toast and drink the water. Because I've said water so many times. <laughs> I hate this whole scene so fucking much. I hate it. Let me mansplain water to you, Emma, because you're not a grown-ass adult who understands basic elements. Plus, it has the most smug douchebag, you have to agree with me, it's good water line. I don't have to agree with shit with you, arrogant ass flap, and neither does Emma. She should throw you down that goddamn well you're so in love with. <laughs> I'm calm, I'm centered. Okay. As she walks through town, Mary Margaret feels everyone gossiping and whispering about her. Even Granny Lucas tells her she should be ashamed of herself, making Granny officially dead to me. Damn, Granny, that's cold. Everyone is such a bitch to Mary Margaret, and I'm not okay with that. Like, no, this is your friend. And even if she made a mistake, like, you don't treat her that way. It's so shitty. It makes me livid, honestly, that everyone just actively shits all over Mary Margaret. And David just gets to sit home and be a tool, I guess, and no one says anything about it? Like, fuck them. Fuck this town. I hate it here. <sighs> okay, I'm good. I'm calm. I'm centered. I can keep going. Okay. <sighs> Back in the Enchanted Forest where things are a little bit better, the siren gives her best Jesus of Nazareth impression as she walks across the water, approaching Charming to tell him she can be anyone he wants. He says he won't fall prey to her deceptions. She then raises a handful of water over herself and lets it pour over her, turning her into Snow White. The prince tries to resist, but gives in to her seduction and kisses the false snow. His sword drops into the lake. The siren tries to lure him into the water, but he says he doesn't want an illusion. He wants reality. The siren levels up on her tactics, but he is not tricked. He recognizes true love. The siren congratulates his perception before lunging at him, taking him underwater. Charming spies the corpses of those who have fallen before him and tries to swim away before enchanted seaweed wraps around his ankle, keeping him trapped. Charming spies a knife at the bottom of the lake, and when the siren returns to finish him off, he stabs her in the stomach with the knife, then cuts himself free and swims to the surface. I'm not really a fan of the siren's dresser crown. I wish they were prettier. 
same that out in the world they should have been better they look cheap cheap yeah, yeah. Cheap. Mm-hmm. it very much looks like you went to spirit halloween and yeah yeah that's yeah, that like very sexy water lady because <laughs> yeah. they're all called shit like that <laughs> yeah it's, it's not it's not good not good it's not good well we got to go back to storybook now i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry mary margaret finds david trying to scrub off the word tramp which has been spray painted onto mary margaret's car ha i knew that stupid truck in 7 15 a.m wasn't hers <laughs> that was david's truck this woody station wagon is what we saw earlier in the show also like who writes tramp on a car like really tramp although never mind i bet regina does and i've answered my own question i think it was granny it wasn't oh do we know who it was do yes we? we do yes i talk about it at the end of this episode oh oh she confronts david about why he didn't tell Catherine about them who told her this idiot asks like good fucking job david you can go in that fucking well too <laughs> men continue to disappoint me <laughs> That's exactly the wrong question, replies Mary Margaret, who is such a strong yet vulnerable boss in this episode, and we stand a queen. He says he didn't want anyone to get hurt, but she says now everyone is hurt. Because they are, you fucking idiot. He not only lied to Catherine, but he also lied to her. You know, like a moron, David keeps yammering on, telling Mary Margaret they have to pick up the pieces and move on if what they have is true love, but she disagrees. She says what they have is destructive, and it has to stop. She says they shouldn't be together. Obviously, okay, this is all Regina's fault ultimately, right? We all agree with that. But fuck yes, Mary Margaret. This scene needs a sassy Annie Lennox song at the end of it. Like, sisters are doing it for themselves. Because she just walks off and I'm like, yes, hold your head high, girl. Oh no, I'm uh, very proud of her I'm right so now. proud of her. So proud of her. It's like, David, you done fucked up. You like, fucked up so bad, you stupid bastard. Yeah. And it isn't as if she hasn't tried standing up for herself because she has no, been trying has. to stand, yeah. stand oh, up yeah. for her else, herself since the Price of Gold or episode five, maybe? Like right when like, uh, like, you know, like around that time. Yeah. Episode five or six. Like she's been saying from the beginning, like, hey, you're married. I don't feel okay about this. I do love you. And it's weird, but you know, we just have this connection. And he's like, yeah, me too, baby. And you know, she's like, okay, great. So if you really want to be with me, you need to break it up. And he's like, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah tomorrow. Oh, well, she's, she's had a spine from day one. Cause she, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. She, she was actively not okay with it until he straight up was like, I'm leaving Catherine for you. And she was like, okay, well, if you're actually leaving Catherine for me, then yeah, we can do this. And then, you know, he didn't like the big fucking idiot that he is. And he just kept digging that hole. Yeah. yeah, Cause each time, like pretty much, yeah. Cause pretty much each time we've come back to them in the affair, she's been like, I don't want this to be an affair. I want you to be with me or this not to be a thing. Cause as it is right now, it's wrong. And he's just like, I'm a man, baby. Men continue to disappoint me. Oh, disappointed Marge voice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, Emma gets to her car and clears off some leaves. In the gutter, she finds a metal case that has Henry's book inside. August, the fucking idiot, covertly watches this from across the street like he's a freaking Disney villain or something with his hands templed. Yeah. I I do actually think the story about the wishing well water and its power to return lost things is actually kind of well done here because it's pretty magical when the book shows up again in the gutter. I guess well played August for this one's time. You actually helped Emma believe. And so I guess he did something right, but that was like it. I still don't like him because he stole that book from our boy and he's, he's, he's gross but I can't believe uh, you just congratulated August for something I know I don't know I think it is I think it is kind of magical for Emma like finding the book in the thing in my own home I was just gonna say man if if you two weren't already like quarantined from each other Elisa (laughs) you would be sleeping on the couch oh no (laughs) I still hate him doesn't that count for something I just think it's magical when the book is like by her feet and Emma's just like oh oh my god it counts, but you're on thin ice, ma'am. Okay. I didn't even put the two and two together because I was so horrified by that fucking, like, sauntering of chauvinism and mansplaining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah. I didn't yeah. even, like, I didn't even put two and two together about, like, the gutter and the water and the returning shit back. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think it's I, it's well played. I mean, he was a dick at the well. He's a dick all the time and everything. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. For sure, for sure. But he actually did a good job setting up something that, like, gives Emma, like, the spark of belief. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's trash. But he's trash. He's trash. (laughs) Moving right along. Catherine pays Regina a visit to apologize for her reaction. Catherine tells Regina that she has been trying so desperately to hold on to David that she never asked herself why. He's your husband, Regina replies simply. You love each other. You always have. Regina may as well be swinging a pendulum back and forth saying, you are getting sleepy, sleepy. Your eyelids are heavy. Oh yeah, she lays it on so thick. Like she's like making like demented direct eye contact. (laughs) And she's just like, you always have loved each other if you fucking know what's good for you. (laughs) However, Catherine insists that they haven't. She holds up Sydney's secret sexy pictures of David and Mary Margaret smooching, insisting that David has never looked at her the way he's looking at Mary Margaret in these photos. Catherine is coming to understand that she's never really been in love. She says her marriage to David was just like an illusion, irony, and was never real, also ironic. She says she's going to go out there and find love. She's moving to Boston alone. Catherine tells Regina that she wrote David a letter telling him that he and Mary Margaret should be together. Regina seems troubled by this development, even as Catherine hugs her and praises her for being such a good friend. Catherine confesses she's always had this irrational fear of leaving Storybrooke. Can't imagine why. Regina tells her she just might find what she's looking for, but she says it in that creepy evil queen kind of way that makes you know that she doesn't really mean it. Regina's eyes say we've reached the die part in our ride or die friendship with Catherine. She's like, friendship with Catherine over... Now murder is my only friend. Yeah, wow, Regina, you definitely don't come off as horny for murder here or anything. Not at all. She's so horny for murder here. She's too horny for murder. Too horny. (sighs) Back in the past, Prince Charming returns with water from the lake and gives it to Abigail, who pours the water over the golden Frederick. Miraculously, he returns back to life. Abigail removes his helm and they kiss. 
we realize Frederick is the gym teacher Catherine bumped into in the school hallway when she went in. Security didn't stop her because there's no security here at all, apparently, because any goddamn person can walk into that school and slapped Mary Margaret. When Frederick asks Charming how he can repay him, Charming wishes for the couple to wed and asks Abigail for a horse and supplies as he intends to head out to find Snow White again. Though she is relieved no Charming will seek out Snow, Abigail warns him to make haste because King George will send his men after him. She adds, some people will stop at nothing to destroy the happiness of others. Frederick looks so soft. I like him even though we basically know nothing about him. I'm invested in their love. I'm going to sail the ship now. <laughs> I agree. He looks like a himbo and I like himbos. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. He looks, Love he me looks, a himbo. He looks adorable. He looks I adorable. Like looks like a sweet himbo. And he's like got Leonardo DiCaprio hair right now. And that's yeah. like 50 points. Good on you, Princess Abigail. Mm-hmm. We return to Storybrooke to see Regina using her giant key ring that has actual skeletons on it to let you know that they're skeleton keys, which I was like, good job. To sneak into Catherine and David's house and steal the letter Catherine had left for David. Emma finds Henry playing his video game. And I'm still so mad about this shitty 50 in one video game system. Henry deserves something nice. Regina, you have more money than God. I'll move on, though. <laughs> she hands him the book. He's delightfully surprised and thinks it's a sign that their luck is changing. She smiles and tells him she hopes he's right. Operation Cobra is back on. Morgan Freeman voice. Things were not, in fact, going to get better. Oh. But Emma and Henry are so sweet, though. They yeah, are. They're, they're, they're the best. precious. They're Which so is cute. why I feel so bad at this part where they're just like, things are finally going to get better. And it's like, they're not, though. They're not, they're, though. They're, they're not. It's only going to get worse. <sighs> Back in the Enchanted Forest, Prince Charming is still looking for Snow White, but runs into Red Riding Hood. Red tells Charming that Snow never returned after she left to seek him out. Charming is confused. You know, his natural state, our sweet himbo. <laughs> Let's face it. As he was prepared to convince Snow that they belong together. Red tells him that Snow went to break up his wedding because she loves him and that something must have changed her mind. He insists it wasn't something, but someone. He looks up and sees King George and his knights heading towards them, with the king yelling for the prince's head. He sweeps Red up behind him and gallops off with her. King George, get out of here. I hate you. You're not dashing. Get off that horse. Just stop. I mean, he looks really stupid riding the horse. He does. If that's any consolation. Like, really stupid. Also, I love how through this whole conversation, Red is just looking at Charming like, oh, you dear sweet himbo. Bless your heart. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, really cute. Just very much like, aw. I, well, I, I see what my friend Snow sees in you. You're, you're soft and sweet and dumb. Yeah. You're, you're so soft and cute and dumb. Of course she likes you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do love, though, that he sweeps her up to like make sure that she's out of harm's way as well. And he doesn't because, just like gallops off in the distance, like only thinking yeah. of himself. That's because uh, unlike David, Charming is a good man. Yeah, Charming's a good man. He's a good yeah. boy. Yes, he's he's very, uh, the right way to say this, gallant or gallant? I've always said gallant. Gallant, yeah. Okay, gallant. is that like, I think that's just the American yeah, He's very way. gallant, yeah. Yeah, he's very gallant. He's in, Yeah, he is incredibly gallant. Wonderful boy. But unfortunately, we have to return to Storybrooke. I'm sorry, Lynn. Man, I don't wanna. <laughs> he sucks there. <laughs> He does. Right now, everything sucks there. Fucking Storybrooke. But we have to. We're almost done. Okay. In Storybrooke, Emma arrives home to a devastated, heartbroken Mary Margaret. While Mary Margaret does not want to talk about it, she doesn't wish to be alone either. 
prompting Emma to curl up on the bed next to her. Jesus Christ on toast, Emma. Take off your shoes. I will you, ru- <laughs> you ruined such a perfectly good scene. Wonderful <laughs> scene. Yeah, again, their chemistry is so wonderful. It is so believable that these two women can be mother and daughter or sisters or just, you know, I mean, their bond is so intense and sweet and everything like two women should have in their life. And you ruined it (laughs) by keeping your shoes on as you climbed onto her white bed. I will forgive Emma putting her shoes on the bed just this once since it's so sweet when she lays down next to Mary Margaret so she doesn't have to be alone but just this once just this once just this once because this scene is so sweet and like bless Emma at least you're not being horrible to Mary Margaret like this whole goddamn town is Dory Brooke you're on my list (sighs) meanwhile Catherine is on her way out of town that evening while Regina sets aflame the letter that Catherine had left for David. We next see the storybook version of Frederick driving upon the scene of Catherine's car, which has gone off the road just short of the storybook town limit. He walks up to the car and sees the airbag has deployed, but there is no one around. Back in the mayor's office, the letter burns and we zoom in on Regina's wickedly smug face. End credits. I enjoy in this last bit, that we see Regina snatching the letter out of her desk so she can burn it. And the camera lingers on the giant can of red spray paint in her desk drawer. Like, you know, she was just creeping around being like, I'm going to write the most gutting thing possible on Mary Margaret's car. I'm going to call her a tramp. <laughs> like, good grief. Get a load of this idiot. <laughs> Salem agrees with me. I, I hear that he agrees with you. He says, yeah, mom. He says, what a dum-dum. <laughs> You know, I I didn't remember much of this episode, which meant that it didn't suck the very life out of me, like True North and Fruit of the Poisonous Tree. True. Despite a deplorable lack of Mr. Gold or Rumpelstiltskin, this is actually a good episode, even if it has some of the most devastating heartbreak in it. Good job, David. Dick. (laughs) Yeah, while this episode isn't a standout, I I do actually, I do like this one. Um, I think the siren storyline itself is kind of whatever but uh princess abigail's storyline itself is interesting i do find myself invested in her i also like that Catherine is kind of our second storybook character to kind of break through the spell and start realize something is not right in storybook by the end of the episode it aligns nicely with the enchanted forest flashback showing us that princess abigail herself was more than meets the eye um that she's someone who's clever and capable um who could have been a great ally to our heroes if regina's like storybook uh, narrative you know, had not basically used her as a wedge between Snow and Charming. I also really like Frederick. I mean, we hardly see him, but he looks so soft. And yeah. I don't remember if there's ever any follow-up for Frederick, which is a shame because I liked him. I want to know more about him. Yeah, um, ditto. Yeah, he did not disappoint, unlike uh, David in this episode, because um, I think this is like one of my top three Curse David Makes Me So Angry episodes um, because he is awful in this episode. Yeah, it's not good. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think I'm the lone person here who's going to be like, I don't like this episode. That's fine. Because <laughs> I'm sorry, this episode has too much August. I can't forgive the amount of August in this episode. Also, David is a complete fuck boy, and I am just tired. I, I think um, my, my threshold for what makes a good episode in Once Upon a Time is so fucking low. <laughs> uh, 
because <laughs> we had episodes that were so horrendously bad, three of them yeah. that are right off the top of my head, that drained the very life out of us. Like not just in recording, <laughs> but for me writing the outlines and having to sometimes watch them a second time that I'm just like, no, this one is fine. It didn't like it, like, yes, it has story-wise, it's very, um, or like I said, like very, dev yeah, it's very, it's very devastating. But, uh, you know, we have to, you have to, you know, go through a storm before you can, you know, see a rainbow. So I, this is just a really bad part of the storm. Yeah. And, so. I mean, and I, I, I don't hate this episode. This episode didn't make me want to lie in traffic like Fruit of the Poisonous Tree did. Because <laughs> north. <laughs> oh yeah, no, both those episodes, I just was like, well, I'm just going to walk into the middle of 405 because I can't deal with this no more. Yeah. And this episode didn't make me hit that point. Yeah. So I don't hate this episode, but I don't like this episode. Sure, fair, yeah, fair, fair, play. fair, very fair. fair play. Like I only screamed like once during it, as opposed <laughs> to ones where I've just like almost lost my voice because I've just yelled so much because I was so angry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have a new segment on this show that I think is a little belated. So I am going to be playing catch up with it, but it's called "Who's That Guest Star." So I'm going to basically just give a little rundown of. Uh, guest stars that we see. I won't go over characters that we'll see again because I can play catch up at that time, but for some other guests, here we go. From episode nine, True North, the woodcutter, aka Michael Tillman, was portrayed by Canadian actor Nicholas Lee. The The role he is best known for is Alex Krychek from The X-Files, along with Tri Lorne in Andromeda, Tom Foss in Kyle XY, Dale Daniel Shannon in The Killing, and Norris in the most recent iteration of The Stand. I won't really go into the kids from True North, but Quinn Lord, who plays Hansel, is best known as Sam from Trick or Treat. That oh makes boy. me, I know, right? Me too. I'm like, oh, that kind of makes me like him marginally better because mm -hmm. that's one of the few horror flicks that I actually like. So, and he's obviously my favorite character. Oh, it's not to get off topic. I love many, many horror films, and it is one of my absolute favorite ones. I fucking love Trigger Tree. It's such a oh, good, it's so such good a good, good, yeah. And I'm, I'm not like a fan. Yeah, I'm not a fan. So, but yeah, that one has definitely wormed its way into my heart. Um, oh, it's yeah, good. So good. I like anthologies, though. I like anthologies. So anthologies are cool. That's fair. From episode 12, Skin Deep, the dove is portrayed by Canadian actor John DeSantis. He is a towering six foot nine inches and known for his roles in DC, Legends of Tomorrow, The Bald Man in A Series of Unfortunate Events, Gustav in Van Helsing, and a bunch of Monsters of the Week in Supernatural. Gaston is portrayed by Canadian actor Sage Brocklebank. He's most known for his role as Buzz McNabb in the TV series Psych. Otherwise, he has a steady stream of guest roles in various TV shows and films. From this episode, Frederick is portrayed by Canadian actor Greystone Holt. You may know him from other roles such as Glenn Scott from Riverdale, Tyler from Batwoman, Clayton Danvers in Bitten, and a whole bunch of hokey Christmas TV movies like Cross Country Christmas, A Very Country Christmas, and A Sweet Christmas Romance. He hot. I hope we see him again. He is hot. He's soft. He's I got like that him. good Titanic Leo hair. Yeah. All right, y'all. 
Let's talk about costumes. Finally, poor Princess Abigail looks awesome. She has upgraded to her traveling clothes and her dress is gorgeous. I'm a little curious why they changed her color scheme. Maybe the ice blue and white was too close to snow and they wanted to like disassociate from David a little bit more and gold, obviously her father is King Midas. I don't know. Either way, she looks great. Yeah, I love this main outfit that Princess Abigail wears. Yes. I have a theory about why her color scheme changes. Oh, go ahead. I think it changes because when we see her before, it's supposed to be artificial. Ooh, yeah. And yeah. that's why it's very like, it's just this weird, vapid, fake looking outfit and she acts the part. Yeah. But then that's... when we see Princess Abigail again, this is really her. So she's in an outfit that's not a weird off the shoulder showgirl outfit. She's in this like very good very tailored well-made outfit in rich colors because this is actually her and not this like crappy fake version that her dad was parading around yeah yeah i think you're exactly right that's my theory on why there's the not only just the color switch but just like the style and quality as well because it's an entirely different style for her to be in like this wonderful like tailored little jacket and like riding breeches yeah boots as opposed to like here's this just shitty slinky little outfit with some crappy little heels and a lot of feathers yeah agreed i absolutely uh yeah agreed i think you're you're right on the nose there and this outfit looks amazing on her it has so much personality in it she looks dashing and powerful and it helps to instantly she looks super hot it helps to instantly show the audience that this character is not who we thought she was leading up to this she looks great. It's it's a, it's a wonderful costume piece. Charming looks dashing as always in his princely garb as soon as he loses his scarf disguise. Bless that himbo. <laughs> but like we said before, that siren costume does not work for me. It's a little too like early 2000s pop star. I wanted something more from it. Oh, it's worse. It's like a Eurovision pop star reject outfit. Oh yeah, it's very Eurovision. Yeah. It's, it's not It's not good. That's, not good. That's for goddamn sure. Not good. But you know what is good? Once upon a timeline. Nice segue, babe. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So this one's real easy, guys. This flashback takes place within the flashbacks previously shown in episode 10 called 7.15 a.m. It begins once Charming flees the castle towards the end of the 7.15 a.m. flashbacks and then overlaps with the second to the last flashback in episode 10. So the bulk of episode 10's flashbacks happens immediately before this episode and then this episode itself is parallel to the final few flashback scenes in episode 10 uh so pretty easy placement it's just right alongside 7 15 a.m next time on once upon a rewatch unlikely allies mary margaret and leroy team up together to help the storybrook nuns sell their candles during the town's miners day festival and emma looks into the mysterious disappearance of david's wife catherine meanwhile in the fairy tale land that was Grumpy finds forbidden love with beautiful but clumsy fairy Nova. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, no one needs a sadness dick measuring contest. You can find us on anchor.fm slash onceuponarewatch, on Twitter at onceuponrewatch, and at Tumblr at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all pod devices come with a price. We open the Enchanted Fort.
I'm going to do that again because my cat just fell out of the windowsill like a dumpster and I think that I heard it. Yeah. I heard it. Merlin, you got to stop throwing yourself out of things. Please, you're a cat. You're supposed to be graceful. Emma reveals she has known. Thank you, Salem. <laughs> God damn it, the cats are testing me. Thank you, Salem, for also dropping off my desk like a meteor. Good lord.